slips and skips, some things that uh, we need to kind of shore up on in our relationships. Uh, we had our marriage retreat last week. It was a great time. We're looking forward to that coming next next year. And uh, so we've just kind of been in this relationship conversation over the last few weeks. And uh, today we'll finish that up. So you can go ahead and start turning in your Bible to uh, Psalm chapter 127. Psalm chapter 127 is, is just where we're going to start today in, in Scripture. Now, I am a child. I'm a child. I was born in the 70s. I'm born in 1975. Any 75. 70s babies, you, yeah, okay, all right, um, I won't ask if you're before that, okay, we're just going to assume there's some, you know, but uh, I, I was born in 1975, and so I'm a child of, of really the 80s, right, because, you know, you can't really count that first five years, you don't know anything, right, you're drawing on the wall and, you know, breaking stuff at the house, uh, but uh, growing up in the 80s, there, there were TV shows that I began to watch, right, I, I loved sitcoms, uh, and my, we only had like three channels, right? Anybody remember we had three channels? You know, you just click, 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 right? You had to, not the clicker, like you had to, actually, I had to go up and change the TV with a knob, right? So I remember those, those days. Uh, I was the remote control. Dad would say, get up and go change the channel, boy, right? And I'd get up and go change the channel of the three stations that we had. And um, so I remember some of these sitcoms that we had watched, and maybe you remember some of these sitcoms, maybe, maybe you watched some of these shows. And so this morning we're talking about family, and I just want to ask you, which family do you think you are? Can you put that up there for me? Which family is yours? Are you, are you the Brady Bunch, right? Are you a blended group, uh, you know, families coming together and, and uh, just this blended group, or maybe you're the Huxtables, right? And, and I know some of these people now, I know we might have gone through cancel culture, okay? So just, uh, just, uh, just put that aside for, uh, for a little bit. But uh, the Huxtables, right? Uh, you know, remember the Huxtables? They were just, everything was great. He was a doctor. She was a lawyer. I think I got that right. And, you know, they had this great life, these, these children, right? And they had all these hijinks that would go on in their home, right? So the Huxtables, or are you the Clampets? Come on, South Georgia folks. South Georgia people, that's it. I probably am more like the Clampets, right? So uh, we're like country come to town sometimes. Uh, the Clampets, or maybe your family's just unreal. You're like the Simpsons. And it's just like, I don't know, man, we're just, there's, it's just like a dysfunctional mess. Uh, wherever you find yourself in these pictures, and you say, well, that's not, none of those quite fit me, and that's okay. It's just a jumping off point today. What is your family like? What is, uh, what are the dynamics of your family? What are the, the relationship dynamics that you have? What are the things that you enjoy about your family? What are the things that maybe you can't just stand about your family, right? Maybe there's things that you just love and you just appreciate so much, and then there's some things that just get on your nerves. Anybody have stuff that gets on your nerves about your family? Come on, this is confessional today, all right? It's all right. We're going to confess. Confession's good for the soul. It's bad for the reputation. So, uh, but we, 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 we have these families that, that we're born into, and uh, you, you start looking at the family dynamics and how that shapes you and molds you. Um, and today, we probably less compare ourselves to people on TV, and we more probably compare ourselves to people on social media, right? Maybe those people who live around us, people that we see, they post pictures of their vacations, they post pictures of the things that they're doing with their family, right? They have all the great filters on as they go to the park with their kids, right? And everything looks amazing and wonderful, and 
you know, so we see these, and it's probably less comparisons with sitcom families anymore and more comparison with social media that we see those around us. And uh, today I want to talk about that, and I want us to just look back at a statement that was made last week, and I want to reiterate that uh, this morning, where we said nothing can be more painful than a family that isn't working the right way. But nothing can bring you more joy than a family that is working the right way. Nothing can be more painful, right? When your family's not working the right way, it, it, can, it can irritate you. It can grate on you. It can actually create a lot of pain in your heart, create a lot of heartache, a lot of heartbreak. And maybe many of you in here this morning, you understand what that is to have heartache and the heartbreak in family drama or family dynamics. And uh, maybe you know that joy. Maybe you, you've experienced that joy of, of uh, children being born into the family and uh, marriages that take place and, you know, all these things that we celebrate. And you start thinking, these are the things that we, that we love. These are the, the great moments, right? Uh, we this past, uh, this yesterday, we had family come over and uh, just at the house, it was great, right? Now, the house was a wreck when they left. But uh, it was just wonderful having family in the house uh, and being there to celebrate uh, and just, just enjoy conversation and laugh with each other and kind of pick at each other a little bit. That's what we do in our family. And so we talked about this last week as well. We talked about the, I, the idea of there being an ideal. Now, we, we talked about it in the sense of marriage, okay? And we talked about the idea of there being an ideal relationship, an ideal marriage, and then there being the tension between us, right? And there being this place that we live, which is the real space. It is reality, right? We know the ideal. The Bible says this, and this is what this should look like. But our marriages sometimes lean more to the real. Well, this applies also to our families as a whole, that we have this idea of, of what uh, family should be, the ideal family, right? We have that picture in our head, and uh, it's sometimes our families look less like that ideal and more like the real. Come on, anybody you know what I'm talking about? And, and sometimes we lean that way, and, and we live in that tension. Last week we talked about that tension between the ideal and the real. And so, so maybe this morning I just I asked myself a few questions. Do you struggle with parental guilt? Anybody? You struggle with parental guilt? Now, if you don't have kids, probably not. You're saying, my conscience is clear, okay? I'm good. I don't struggle with that. If you're a child and, and, and you don't have, you're like, no, I'm good, right? Uh, that stuff comes later, I promise you. Parental guilt is that thing that they don't tell you about, but it sneaks up on you later where you're like, did, did I do things right? Am I doing things right? Am I a good dad? I don't know how many times I've, I've asked. I don't know that I've really voiced that out loud, right? But I have asked that in my own head. Am I a good dad? Am I doing things the right way? Am I doing right by my children? You know, am I, am I parent them, parenting them the right way? Am I modeling correctly? So do you struggle with parental guilt? Uh, or maybe you ask the question, what have I done to my children? Right? <laughs> Where did I go wrong? Okay, maybe maybe you're there, and uh, we laugh about that because these are conversations that me and Raina have, right? And so we deal with that. These are things that that we're at. And so um, I, I'll just say this: we think that the Bible presents ideal families and ideal relationships. It does not. It does not. That's wrong, okay? What the Bible presents is very real families, uh, very real re relationships. The Bible is full of real families 
with real problems that lead to really messed up stories, okay? That's, that's what the Bible is chocked full of. People who have uh, real marriages and real, uh, real parenting issues, real families with real problems, and a lot of times they look really messed up. And you do not have to go very far into Scripture. If you start in Genesis, you're going to start hitting them one after the other, one after the other. And so I want us to look at this this morning, and, and what, what can this speak to us? Because we have stories like Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel, right? Uh, this is the first family, and the first murder that takes place is in the first family. And so we see that is a messed up story. That's, that's a pretty messed up situation that you have in this first family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, you say, Abraham and Sarah, they sound pretty great, right? Well, they, they battled with uh, the, the infertility for a while. And then uh, they had, if you start looking at their family line, Abraham lied about all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, there are places where we find Jacob and Esau, they have, they have this strife and this struggle, right, uh, in, in uh, the story of, of Hagar and Ishmael, right? There's, there's this struggle in these families. Uh, and then you get to David. David, which is the man after God's own heart, right? His family was perfect. No, it was not perfect. He did not have a perfect family, um, there was so much scandal, and it was so messed up in so many ways. And so when I look at this, I, I, I just I have to remember this. Still, God chooses to use a scandalous story in the line of David to produce the cure for what ails us all. That's, that's what God chose. He chose to use the scandalous story in David's lineage to produce the cure for our sin. The, sin, the sinful story that David had, out of that sinful story, God brings about hope. God brings about restoration. God brings about um, the, the idea that, you know what, no matter what that picture looks like for your family, he can, he can take that and, and make something with that. And actually, that's just what I want you to know. That's the next statement. God doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses broken people. God doesn't use perfect pictures. When you start looking at these picture-perfect people sometimes on social media, right? That is a crafted. When you go see somebody, you ever seen somebody's family portraits? You ever envied their family portrait? I was like, man, that's a beautiful family. How did they get them all to smile at the same time? Right? Every hair's in place. You can't see the fat rolls hanging out, right? You, you just you don't see the bald spots, right? And it's just like, man, that's, that's a beautiful family, right? But you, you go talk to photographers, and I promise you, it, they probably have to take some time to craft that and say, hey, let's get together. We're going to take a lot of shots, right? And how many shots probably they didn't use till they got the one that they said, that's it. We got one shot where nobody was blinking, nobody was grimacing, nobody was making a frowny face, right? Uh, we'll take that one shot out of the hundred that just snaps. You know, that's why they do that. They, they're going to get one. They're, going to get, they're just going to get a handful of shots. And, and sometimes we think we need these picture-perfect families, but that's not reality because this, that's where we live. We live in that tension between what we think is ideal but what we know is real. But the Bible is explicit about what God does with these very real families and these very real stories and the very real problems that they have. These are not picture-perfect people. They are not picture-perfect families. He uses broken people. So what does... 
Scripture have to say to us? What does the Bible have to say to us about families? And that's where I want us to go this morning. I want us to go and I want us to read. We're going to read an entire chapter in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 127. And it's okay, don't get nervous because it's only five verses, okay? So chapter 127 of Psalms says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Come on, somebody. Some some of y'all need to remind yourself of that in the morning when you're trying to get them dressed. Lord, help me with this child. Children are a heritage from the Lord. You know, and sometimes your heritage is is making you pull your hair out, right? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks in the enemies, speaks with his enemies in the gates. He said, what does all this have to do? It's, it really just starts, and I, w- I want to just focus really on this first part of uh, chapter 127 here in verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And now I'm going to ask, can I get some help? I've got some props that I'm going to ask folks to bring this morning. And they're going to get that set up because when I look at, um, when I look at this passage, uh, this this passage starts with uh, this word house. Now, there are a couple of words in the Hebrew that we find that speak about families in the Bible. And two of these words I just want to share with you. The first one here is the one that we see here where it says, unless the Lord builds the house. And that is the word bayit, all right? Uh, it can be uh, probably pronounced uh, a few different ways. Bayit, or bayit is how I see it. Uh, bayit is house or home. And this is the word that gets translated here <coughs> as house in uh, verse 1. But there's also another word that talks about families because that word can mean house. It can mean an actual literal house, somebody's uh, house structure, right? Or it can mean their dynasty, their lineage, their heritage, right? Uh, it can mean that. Uh, but there's another word that we find in the Hebrew uh, in Scripture that is called mishapaka. Mishapaka is uh, the word for family. And I love this word as I began to study and began to kind of pull this apart, what this word means. Because it means to join together. Now, Raina, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take those two cups, and I want you to put some water uh, just maybe about halfway in each cup, okay? Uh, that's good, right there. There you go, and the other cup too. And so um, I'm going to ask you to hold the mic. And so what we have here is we have, let's just say we have mom and dad. We have two people. We have a man and a woman who have come together, and they have uh, come together. God has filled their life with so many good things, and they have found each other, and they said, we want to start a family. And so uh, they get married, and they began to uh, take all their desires and expectations, all their hopes and wants and uh, for a family, and they began to kind of pour into each other, right? And this is the idea of Mishapaka. 
this is that idea that you join together. This idea that what is uh, these all these hopes and dreams and desires and emotions you're pouring out of your emotion. Anybody ever ever experienced emotion with with your spouse? Good emotion, right? Joy. How many of y'all experienced joy this morning? Good morning. You're beautiful. You're beautiful, right? And yeah, she she hit me in the head with a water bottle this morning. So that's it. That's how she responded. You're beautiful, and I'm going to smack you across the head. It was all playful. We've been, we've been playing this before, so it's fun, yeah. And so, um, so we have all these hopes and desires and these emotions that we're pouring in to one another. And this is the picture that you see in Mishpaka. Now, what we then find is this, is that families grow, right? Uh, we, we begin to have children, or maybe we adopt, or maybe, uh, you know, even, even this idea of Mishapaka can, can, can have the idea of people who foster. They bring people in to their families, and then we start kind of pouring out of our lives into all these other little places. I can't even see the <laughs> I'm going to make a mess, but that's okay, because if I made a mess, that would be a picture of this, that, you know what, sometimes it spreads out, right? This is what this word means, this word family. This word means is to, is to give you this idea that it joins together, it spreads out, and um, there's this idea of being poured out, whether it's being poured out, that you're joining your lives together, or being poured out, there's emotion that is being poured out. And so in your families, uh, how, how many of you say, that happens in my family, right? That happens in my family. There's emotion, whether it's good or bad, right? It happens in my family. There are mo- there's emotion that gets poured out. And so in this, um, we're reminded that unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, unless God is in the middle of our families, unless God is in the middle of this pouring out, it's in vain. We we. We're going to get it wrong, and, and we may get it wrong anyways, um, but God is always guiding us to bring us back to his heart for us, always bring us back to what he wants to see for our life. And even though our lives and our families may look very real, he always wants to guide us to his ideal for what he wants for us. And so that's why we need God building the house. See, the greatest thing you will ever do for God may not be anything that you actually do for God. It may be someone that you raise. That may be the greatest thing that you do for God. The greatest thing that you do for God may not be exactly what you do for God, right? It may be who you raise. And I think about people like Billy Graham, right? We know Billy Graham. We understand that name. But who is Billy Graham's mom and dad? Who is Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher? Who, who are the people that were in the life? Who are Billy Graham's grandparents, right? Who are those people? Because you start thinking about what was the great thing that they did, and it was being able to raise someone uh, who was going to step in and, and do God's calling or, and, and work in God's, God's calling on his life, right? And so that may be some of the greatest things that we ever do is the people that we raise, the people that we influence, the people that we pour into. And it, and it doesn't necessarily always mean that it's, it's our biological family. Sometimes it, it may be extended family. And that's Mishapaka has that, that, um, that idea of extended family, that you're pouring into them. You're influencing them, right? I have family here this morning. I have my Aunt Charlotte that's here, Uncle Clyde, right? These family, Kevin, my cousin Kevin. All these people have poured into my life, and they continue to pour into my life. And this is a picture of, of what happens. And I'm going to pour out of my life into that next generation. 
you know, what that looks like. And so if the Lord is building the house, when we pour out of this, it allows us to pour out in, in different ways. And so, you know, kind of go back to that, that question, you know, do you have parental guilt? <laughs> you know, when you haven't gotten it right, when you haven't poured out well, right? Maybe you poured out of some anger. Maybe you poured out of some frustration. Maybe I, I poured all out and there's nothing left, right? I, I poured all out and there's nothing left for anybody else. And I am just empty. My cup has run dry and I am tired and frustrated. Anybody been there, right? And, and we feel that. And then we, after a while, maybe we come back and we feel that guilt. Matthew 5 and 43 through 45. <clears throat> Basically, it says this, and you might know this scripture, and I'll just, just quote it to you. And, it just, and just one part that stands out to me, it says it rains on the, the Lord causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He, he causes the sun to shine on the good and the evil, right? And so sometimes there are things that are just going to happen just because they're going to happen, right? Not because I'm good and we say, that, well, that happened because I'm just a bad parent. And this happened because I'm a bad parent. Sometimes things just happen. Can we just say that? Can, can, can you just take a deep breath real quick and just say, sometimes things just happen. And sometimes things just happen because maybe, maybe you didn't want them to happen and maybe you fought against it happening, but sometimes maybe it happens anyways. And we carry some of this stuff. And as a parent this morning, I want to kind of let you off the hook a little bit. Not, a, not all the way, but off the hook just a little bit. That you take a breath and say, all right, God. So what does that look like for me? See, because when I look at this, there's a formula that I want to give you. I want to give you a good environment. A good environment plus very good children. No, 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 it, 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 it did. It did. A good environment plus very good children plus a perfect father equals what? Rebellion. That happened. That happened right off the bat. You had God come down and he created this great world, this, this beautiful world. And what did he say? Oh, this is good. And then he creates his children. He crafts Adam and Eve. And what does he say? Oh, this is very good. And we can't say enough about God. He's perfect. He goes way beyond good. He's just perfect. He is the good father, but he is the very, 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 very good father, right? But even with all that, what happens? The story goes awry. It, it, it kind of goes off track because people are people. Kids make choices. Sometimes kids make poor choices. Come on, anybody? Has your kid ever made a poor choice? As you as a kid, did you ever make a poor choice? Come on, that's, that's, we know this. So we understand this, that even with God creating a good, a good world and very good children and him being perfect, that even through all that, sometimes you get rebellion. And, and so what do we do with that? Two things I want to I just give you real quick. You shouldn't take too much credit when things go well. You shouldn't take too much credit when things go well. When my, when my kids and I, I, when my kids do something good, I'm like, that's my boy right there. They do something bad, it's like, Raina, that is your boy right there. Can't you do something with your kids, right? But when, when, when they're my kids, when things go well, right? God, look at that. Good job, son. Good job. And I want to own that, but I've got to be careful. I can't take too much credit when things go well 
The flip side of that is this. You can't take on too much blame if things don't. You can't take on too much blame if things don't because they still are people who have to make choices and decisions. Yes, you train them, you guide them, you want to pour into them, right? You're trying to pour into their cup. You're trying to give them who you are and say, guys, this is what this looks like. Me and your mom, we're just, we're just pouring out. Or, or maybe it's, a, it's an extended family member. Maybe it's a, a nephew or niece that you're pouring into their life, and it's just like you're trying to give them so much, but they still have to make their own choices. They still have to make their own decisions. See, as, as a parent, you have zero control over what your kids do with their lives, but you have tremendous influence. There comes a time, and I'm in that, that, that time in my life, where I have less control now. See, when they're little, I'm going to ask somebody to come play. When they're little, I have more control. When they're little, I can put them in a car seat, and I can take them anywhere that I want them to go, and they can't do anything about it except cry, right? You understand that. And my kids have cried. I remember Kobe cried 45 minutes down the road one day. Raina's dad was riding with us, and by the time we all got out of the car, he was just like this. He was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) I don't ever want to be back in a car with that that child anymore, right? Uh, We understand that when they're little, you have more control over that. You could tell them, hey, you're going to go to bed at this time. Now, they may fight you on it, right? But you're bigger than them, so put them in the bed, right? Uh, You have more control. But as they get bigger, as they get older, you have less control. My boys are 19, and God wants to be 17 on Wednesday. And and what I'm having to do now is parent not by control, but I have to parent by influence. And I have less control now, but I still have tremendous influence. And so where are you at? Where are you at on the spectrum? Are you still in those control moments? Maybe, maybe it's your kids. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, like I said, maybe it's a niece or nephew. Maybe it's an extended family that you have influence on. Maybe it's a grandchild. You have less control maybe at this point, maybe more uh, more control at another point. But, but where are you at? So stand with me this morning. Proverbs 22, 6, this is what it says. It says, train up a child on the way they should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now remember, Proverbs, and I told you this the first week, Proverbs means probable, right? This will probably happen. This is not a promise. Proverbs are not promises. Let's get that. Proverbs are not promises because if it's a promise, it's going to happen every time. Proverbs are probable, which means if you live this way, this is, this is generally what happens. So this is Proverbs as we get this advice and get this wisdom. As you live this way, train them up in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. You know what I thought of? This is, what I, this is the picture I get when I think of this scripture. We went to St. Simon's uh, last weekend, and uh, we down there on St. Simon's and Jekyll, you have these trees that they are bent over a certain way. Why is that? Why are they bent that way? It's because the wind sweeps over the island and continues to push them and push them and push them, but they don't stop growing, right? They don't stop growing. They just begin to grow in the way that the wind pushes them. They're windswept trees. And I think about that, that as we who are people of influence, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're an aunt or uncle, 
you know, maybe, maybe you're a mentor. You are a person of influence. And we get a chance to shape the next generation. We get a chance to shape those kids who are coming along, right? You may have great control at one point. There's coming a time we're going to have less control. But never, ever, ever give away your influence. Never, ever, ever discount the influence of who you are and how you live and what you say. You may say, they're not listening to me, but they're probably watching. There have been plenty of times when I can, I can remember I wasn't listening, but I was watching. I watched my dad. I watched my grandmother. I watched, I watched my family members live things out in front of me. And sometimes they would tell me stuff and I'd go in one ear and out the other. But I will never forget the times where I was around the dinner table or we were at Christmas or Thanksgiving and they modeled things for me. They modeled a life where it says God is first for us. God built our house. So we labor in vain if we try to do this without God. Whatever influence you have, use that influence and say, God, help me have greater influence. Help me model this. What does this look like? And so this morning as we just bow our heads, Lord, I don't, I don't know what all is represented here. I don't know all the family dynamics that are represented in this room. You do. You know the, the joys and the places where we've cheered. You also know the heartbreaks and heartaches. You know the slip-ups that we've had. You know the things that we've seen that have just been downright ugly. So this morning, we bring you our families. We pray over them right now. I pray over parents in here right now, God, that I know they carry some kind of parental guilt sometimes. Did we always get it right? Probably not. But, Lord, I, I know that we still have influence. And so I pray right now, Father, that, that you would allow us to do well with the influence that we have. If we have control, help us, Father, to do well with that control. Because it's not going to be forever. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, we shift from control to influence, I pray, God, that you would help our in influence just to increase to our sons and daughters and our grandsons and daughters, to our nephews and nieces, to, to those who we're mentoring, to those who we're adopting, to those we're fostering. Lord, I pray that you would help us to model that in front of them, to model what it looks like to have you building our house, you building our family. As we pour out, Lord, you pour in.